This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we hear a story from Cloak and Dagger, an NBC radio series, a foreign intrigue adventure adapted from the book of the same name by Corey Ford. Cloak and Dagger was broadcast from May 7th to October 22nd, 1950, with a cast that included Raymond Edward Johnson, Everett Sloan, and Jackson Beck. Scriptwriter Willis Cooper directed the series with research support provided by Percy Hoskins, a British journalist, crime reporter, and author. Stories on Cloak and Dagger came right out of Washington Files of the OSS. A 1950 newspaper article commented, The stories dramatized each week are true, and yet as fantastic as any fiction writer might be able to dream up. Well, let's hear one right now, entitled Trojan Horse. Are you willing to undertake a dangerous mission behind the enemy lines? knowing you may never return alive. What you have just heard is the question asked during the war to agents of the OSS, ordinary citizens, who to this question answered, yes. This is Cloak and Dagger. Espionage, international intrigue. These are the weapons of the OSS. Today's story, The Trojan Horse, is suggested by actual incidents recorded in the Washington files of the Office of Strategic Services. A story that can now be told. August 1942. Report to OSS headquarters in Casablanca from Agent Henri Fontaine in France. Contact with girl Gabrielle Monet was made in the Bluebeard Cafe in Paris. I went there alone on the evening of the 15th. I sent her a note with a waiter asking her to come to my table when she'd finished her song. Then I sat and waited. German officers were spread about the room as they were spread about all of occupied France. <laughs> I wondered what they would say if they knew why I had come. You send me this note, eh? Oui, mademoiselle. Will you join me? Why not? 
I drink with anyone these days. What will you have, eh? What have you? Let me taste from your glass. It is very bad wine. Huh? <laughs> you are right. Oh, the only time a girl may get good wine nowadays is when she drinks with the Bosch. Ah, never mind, I'm not thirsty. I enjoyed your song. Is that what you wanted to tell me? I think you are wasting your time here in Paris. Ah, Paris is wasting her time on Paris these days. I can offer you a better position in Casablanca. What did you say? Who are you? My name is Henri Fontaine. I, too, have a good position with the American OSS in North Africa. What are you saying? Before the Germans came to France, I was a poor poet. They did me a service. Now I'm a rich spy. You sit here in a room full of Germans and tell me this? What makes you think I will believe you? What makes you think I won't turn you over to the Germans if I do, eh? <laughs> Mademoiselle, I am not such a brave man. Neither am I a fool. We have kept you under observation for months. We know you better than you know yourself. Is there anything you'd like to know about yourself? What do you want of me? On our side, we have only the very best. Forgerers, counterfeiters, cutthroats, and uh, spies. <laughs> Will you join us? Ah, uh, just tell me what you want me to do. Agent Henri Fontaine in France to Agent Steve Lytel in Casablanca. Arrangements have been made to transport the girl Gabrielle Monet to the south of France and then to Casablanca. Awaiting further instructions. Over. Bonjour. The roses will bloom early this year, I think. Oui, but uh, not too early, I hope. Good, good. I have been waiting for you. It is dark. I can't see you well. Is the girl with you? She is here. Gabby, say something so our friend will know you are here. I am tired. <laughs> Did you have difficulty reaching my safe in Paris? Uh, not too much. With swarms of displaced persons all over France to mingle with. And a slight bit of help along the way from the underground. It, it was not too bad. Good, good. Now follow me. I will take you to the fishing school. But I'm I know, so... I know you're tired. Cheer up, Gabby. You'll have a nice long trip by water to rest up. Oh. And then another nice long trip by auto to oh. Casablanca. Oh, I like automobiles. In the old days, I like nothing better than a, a pleasant ride. But Gabi did not like the automobile trip to Casablanca. It was probably nothing like the old days. I drove up front alone while she was fitting the trunk of the car behind gasoline drums. <laughs> there were gunny sacks and a Moroccan rug thrown over her. Across everything, a heavy canvas cover lashed down with just enough air left for her to breathe. We drove that way over rough roads for several hours. When it got dark, I pulled over to a side lane and 
Let her out. Gabby, come out, come out. Oh, oh, my back. It is broken. Oh. I, I will gladly um, massage it for you. Uh, you are too kind. Not at all. No, thank you. Ah, pity. Why did we stop? To give you a chance to uh, stretch your legs. And a cigarette, if oh. you want one. Oh, I would die for one. Give, 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 give. I have one lit here. Uh. Oh, mille merci. You see? I try to be gentle. <laughs> I try to make up for the inconvenience I am causing uh, you. Ça, c'est drôle. I remember what another poet once said. A German, by the way, but uh, not a Nazi. His name was Goethe. What did he say? He said, be gentle with women. Remember, they were made from a broken rib. <laughs> I am not amused. I'm sorry. You are always smiling. Do you enjoy the war, huh? I am a poet. There is poetic excitement in being behind the lines, working underground. I enjoy being a spy. Well, I am no matter hurry. You will do. You still have told me nothing. Why did they send for me? You remember a German named Paul Vogel? Paul... What do you know of him? Tell me. Not now. The time is late. But I must Throw know. Away your Why did you mention I his... said later. We have a long journey ahead. If we pass the border post, I will tell you. If we do not, <laughs> the words and minutes would only be wasted. I thought I would never reach the border. It's been a long trip. Where are you headed? Casablanca. You anything to declare? No, nothing. Let me see your passport. Here you are. All of a sudden, I spotted a small black dog sniffing and whining at the trunk of the car where Gabriel was hidden. The customs officer had not noticed him, and I knew I had to find somewhere to keep him from noticing. Ah, one becomes thief after so long a ride. While he looked over my passport, I went to the rear of the car, picked up the dog by the scruff of the neck, and uh, started to pet him. Well, your, your passport seems to be in order, but what's the matter with Jeff? <laughs> Nothing. Perhaps he does not like to be picked up. No. If he did, he wouldn't try to bite you. Better put him down. sniffing around that trunk. I felt like strangling that cute little black puppy. Well, put him down. I, uh, I have taken a fancy to him. Um, how do you feel about selling him to me, eh? Huh? Well, I... Uh, you, you are serious, monsieur? Oui, I like him. Come, come, how much, eh? Oh, take him. There are two more like him around somewhere. Uh, thank you. He will liven up the journey. Wait. Huh? Before you go... Yes? What is in your trunk? Huh? I said, what is in your trunk? Let me put the dog in the car, and then I will show you. The trunk, I will show you. You see? Gasoline drums. Yes, I see. 
Very well. Close the trunk. I may go? Of course. Thank you again for Joff. August 27th, 1942. Report to OSS headquarters in Washington from Agent Steve Lytell in Casablanca. Fontaine and the girl arrived. I knew as soon as she walked in that Paul Vogel could not have forgotten her. I only hoped her memories of him weren't too strong. Now, as you know, Miss Monet, this is an international zone. We are, in effect, neutrals. In Casablanca, we pass each other in the streets. Germans, Americans, Vichy, and Free French. You can imagine what a hotbed of international intrigue we have here. Oh, I, I know nothing of that kind of intrigue. Then perhaps we can broaden your horizon. Hold it, Henri. Now, listen to me, Yabby. The head of the German Armistice Commission in Casablanca is a man named Paul Vogel. Does that name mean anything to you? We knew each other once, before the war. Knew each other? He was an attaché to the German consulate in Paris. You almost married him once, isn't that so? That is my business. I'm afraid we've made it our business. Now, Gabby, we've kept close watch on you these past months, and we're sure that you're no Nazi or Vichy sympathizer. Oh, I hate them all for what they are doing to France. But Vogel, what are your feelings toward I, him? I, I haven't seen him in years. That's not answering my question. If he is a Nazi, I have no feelings toward him. All right, then. Now, the open secret here in North Africa is the planned American invasion. The closed secret is where and when. Now, that's what Paul Vogel wants to find out for German headquarters. Well, I still don't understand what I... You're I'm... to tell him, Cherie. What? Henri's right. You're to take up this friendship with him once more. Oh. Give him all the information he wants. You'll well, get it direct from us. What? Now, Give rest assured, it'll be the wrong information. You understand now? Uh, I'm beginning to. Good. We have a job for you at the Three Lanterns Cafe. Now, starting tomorrow... Agent Henri Fontaine and I were at the Three Lanterns Cafe the next night when Gabrielle opened there. The cafe was packed. But even the crowd around the bar, officers with ribbon chests, waterfront riffraff, and black marketeers, all of them were quiet when she sang. She was wearing a red dress. And in the spotlight, her face looked smaller and whiter. And her hair looked blacker. There wasn't a man in the room who could take his eyes off her. I wondered how soon it would be before Paul Vogel came in and saw her, too. Yeah, a girl like that could make you forget the war, right, Steve? I've got a wife back in Syracuse. <laughs> can she wear red like that? My wife can be trusted. And this girl? She and Vogel were pretty close in the old days. I know my own kind. She can be trusted. I hope you're right. The success of the whole American invasion may hinge on it. A lot depends on how hard Vogel falls for that little bait up there on the bandstand. Steve, hmm? Vogel, he's just come in. That's all I wanted to see. Come on, let's get out of here. Hey, excuse us, uh, pardon, pardon. Hello. 
This table is free, waiter. It will do. We are Vogel. You wish to see the wine list? Oh, I... That girl. How long has she been here? Uh, the singer, you mean? She started only tonight. Tell her to come to this table when she's finished. You understand? We I understand. No, you don't. You only think you do. Go tell her what I said. And bring a bottle of your best wine. It was you, Paul, when the waiter came to me. <laughs> How like you to walk back into my life so quietly after making so violent an exit. Ah, the world is small after all, Gabby. I'm amazed to find you in Casablanca. I can say the same of you. What are you doing here? I arrived here a few days ago, but I've been in North Africa for months. Tangier, Oran, Tunis, singing. How were you able to leave France yeah. after the occupation? You should know how well I always got along with Germans. Hmm. You don't seem angry with me any longer, Liebchen. After that last time, six years ago... Life is too short to be angry for too long at anyone. <laughs> Besides, I was a fool to have been jealous over that silly blonde with the bad legs. I've even forgotten her name. Suzanne. Aha! Uh -huh. I see you have not forgotten. <laughs> What's your issue? Oh, it's a wine. Gabby, how good it is to be with you again. How good it is to be with you, Paul. Ah, for you? For me. Now, we will drink to what is to be, Liebchen. No better guide through Casablanca than I, Gavi. Come, what else would you like me to buy you from the marketplace? A scarf, perhaps? A gold scarf to put around your hair, yeah. Have you taken many girls to the marketplace, oh. huh? <laughs> Will you be forever jealous of me, Liebling? What is it, the French in you? Ah, it is the woman in me. <laughs> I imagine you are in great demand by the women here. The chief of the German armistice commission. How did you know that? I know more than you think. Oh? Would it interest you to know the name of one of the most important American agents in North Africa? Who? Steve Lytell. What do you know of him? I know him. And he knows the details of the planned American invasion. Come. I will buy you a gold scarf. Well, have you nothing to say of what I just told you? I knew that already. I, too, have agents. However... Thank you for telling me. I can promise you more than a gold scarf if you find out additional information for me. Is this possible? It might be. Very possible. Agent Lytell in Casablanca to OSS in Washington. The girl, Gabrielle Monet has been in the paid employ of the German government here for several weeks, according to our plan, and we'll transmit to them the Dakar cover project. 
September 1942. Report to OSS headquarters from Agent Monet. I had a feeling that things were going too smoothly. I seemed to be holding my breath, waiting for something to go wrong. And on the night of the 29th, it did. Paul Vogel was in my room above the cafe. We were listening to my record of our favorite song. You'll have to go soon. It is late. Forget the time. Who would think it would come to this again, Gary? After that day in Paris, when we quarreled so. I remember that day. We showed poor judgment to argue out of doors. It was raining. I got a terrible cold in the nose. Poor Gabi. Let me kiss that poor nose. Oh, Paul, you really must go. But before you do, I, I have a paper for you in my purse. Dates when high officials will be in Casablanca. Stay I'll get a it moment. for you. I want to uh, talk to you. you. You're hurting my arm. Let Germany me go. Germany is Paul. paying you well for this information I know, you are Paul, giving us. Please. Some of it is useful uh, information, but none of it uh, is as important as I would like. I will try to do better. You had better do better. You know what would happen, Gabi. If I found out you were crossing me... I would not cross you. It is nothing oh, for me to my... twist your arm oh. like this. Such a small arm. Think what oh. I could do if I really tried to hurt you. You hurt me now because you don't trust me. What do you want? You claim to know this American like that. I do. You claim you get your information from I him. Do. Is that all he gives you? What about his love? Oh. Does he give you that too? Paul... The shoe is on the other foot. Now it is you who are jealous. <laughs> oh, how foolish of you. Think. Would I lie to you? Coming. Coming. Oh, coming. If you ever lie to me, I... I would rather see you dead at my feet than standing looking at me and lying. You hear what I say? Yes. Yes, I hear. I hear. No more wine. I must keep my head clear to think of what you have just told me. Now are you satisfied that I'm earning my money? Mm-hmm. Dakar. So the Americans will land in a few weeks at Dakar. Very likely. Very likely. Dakar is strategically important. It will be more important if the German fleet is there to stop the invasion. Yeah, yeah. That bungled attempt at a landing under De Gaulle's leadership failed... So the Americans probably figure we would not dream that they would try it again in the same place. <laughs> One American, Steve Lytell, does not dream you know all this. Hmm. Are you going to tell German headquarters? 
But of course, this is something they will want to know. It's Steve, every word of it. Good. The German fleet is being sent to stop the invasion at Dakar. Good, Gabby. Good work. Steve, radio report. Justin from Gibraltar. What is it? <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me tell it, Joff. General Clark will rendezvous on October 21st at Point Agrade near Alger. You know what that means? Final preparations for the Iran invasion. Nothing must go wrong now. Nothing. <laughs> November 4, 1942. Something very wrong happened. Paul came to my room just before I was ready to go downstairs to the cafe. Paul! Gabby, your friend Lytel has been playing you for a fool. Do you hear what I say? I don't understand. The invasion is not the car. I just learned myself it's to be Oran. Oran! And the German fleet, on my suggestion, is waiting in Dakar for oh, nothing. Paul. And will continue to wait Paul, for nothing. Paul, it can't be. Do you know be. what this will mean to me? Do you realize what the high command will do to me for please, this? Please, please, Paul. I'm ruined. Perhaps, perhaps your latest information was wrong about Oran. No, 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 no. It all ties in. They, the Americans, wanted me to believe Gabi, what had you to do with this? Now what are you saying? I'm getting tired of your suspicions. One day you trust me, the next day you don't. You're French? What kind of French? Instead of questions, ask yourself this. Would I betray you, Paul? Not Germany, but you think. Look at me. Look at your Gabby and answer. I... I... No, of course not. Not you... You wouldn't dare. There may still be time to stop the Americans at Oran. I must get back to headquarters and let them know by radio. I should have done that right away instead of coming here. Oh, have a drink first. No, no, uh, later. I'll be back. It later. will not be easy for you to tell the high command this. A drink will fortify you. Mm. Yes. Perhaps. Perhaps you're right. One drink, then. <laughs> sat on the edge of the couch, his head in his hands. I remember thinking how very blonde was his hair, how large his hands. It was not difficult for me to drop half the L tablet from my purse into his glass as I poured the liquor over it. Here you are. Poor Paul. Poor petit. You look so tired. Drink. Where are you going? To put on the record you like. We've played it so often lately, Paul, that one of these days it will just rise up in protest. <laughs> You're tired? Uh, no. No, why should I be tired? I must. No, no. I've had my drink. Hear my record through, then you will go. No. No, now. I must go now. You're so good to me, Gabby. You love me. You love me very much. 
His head had fallen on his arms and rested on the table. The tablet had begun to work as I knew it would. I got the automatic pistol that had been given to me by the Americans and shot him twice through his very blonde head. Mon amour, mon amour, mon amour. Report from Agent Gabriel Monet. Mon amour, mon amour. Mon amour. to come any minute now. News of the invasion. I've had word that Eisenhower and Clark were in Gibraltar on November the 8th. I'll let you both know as soon as something comes through on the radio. Are you all right, Debbie? <laughs> Me? Don't concern yourself. You did what you had to do. It took courage. Well, if I had thought about it longer, perhaps I would not have had the courage. You cannot know. I think I do. He meant a great deal to me. A long time ago. I killed him. Listen to me. Now, I told you something once that the poet Goethe said. He also said this. Give up what perished long ago, and let us love what's living. Do you hear, Gabi? Do you hear? Code name. Roberts arrived. The invasion's begun. Do you hear? Did you hear, Gabby? Did you? Yes. Yes. Yes, I heard. And once again, the report of an OSS agent is closed with the words Mission accomplished. A further adventure in black warfare is next week's... Cloak and Dagger. Heard in today's story were Jane White, Barry Kruger, Leon Janney, Joseph Julian, Carl Weber, Raymond Edward Johnson, Guy Sorrell, and Bernie Gould. Script was by Winifred Wolfe. Music under the direction of John Gart. Today's true OSS adventure was based on the book Cloak and Dagger by Corey Ford and Alistair McBain. This has been a Lewis G. Cowan production under the supervision and direction of Sherman Marks. Stay tuned for Eve Arden and Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for that zany bunch from Madison High to provide some levity. Here's the story of the Clay City teacher. Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks teaches English at Madison High School. And like most other teachers, she tries to stay on the best of terms with her principal, Mr. Osgood Conklin. This isn't always easy. You see, Mr. Conklin has high blood pressure, and it's wise to take him with a grain of salt. Of course, it's wiser not to take him at all. <laughs> anyway, on Thursday, he gave me a little honorary assignment to take care of on my own time, which consisted of a report he had to submit to the school board. 
I was to rephrase, punctuate, and proofread the 25 pages by morning. And sure enough, I got it all done by morning. (laughs) In fact, when Mrs. Davis, my landlady, awakened me, I had been sleeping like a baby for over 20 minutes. Oh, what is that, dear? What's the trouble? Nightmare? No, daymare. I was up all night with some extra work Mr. Conklin gave me. Oh. Well, I guess you can use the extra money that goes with it. Money? What money? Surely there must be some compensation for working away from the school. Oh, there is, Mrs. Davis. The satisfaction of a job well done. The thrill of helping my colleagues in their time of need. And the gratification that comes with the knowledge that I've assisted my superior officer on the battlefield of life. (laughs) And you know something else, Mrs. Davis. What, Connie? The next time I work at home, it'll cost him a fin. (laughs) Well, remember this, dear. Money won't buy back your health and good looks once they've gone. If I were you, I'd flatly refuse to do any extra work at all. Oh, but I can't do that. Mr. Conklin's my principal. That doesn't give him the license to make a beast of burden out of you. Why, for two cents, I'd advise you to quit. And if I had two cents, I'd take your advice. (laughs) (laughs) No, Mrs. Davis, even a beast of burden has to earn oat money. Well, hurry with your shower, Connie. I've got a nice breakfast all planned for you. Oh, I won't have time for breakfast today, Mrs. Davis. Walter Denton's taking me to school in his car so I can get this report to Mr. Conklin. What's the matter with your car, Connie? I had a little trouble with the steering wheel. What kind of trouble? It came off. (laughs) It's nice of you to give me this lift today, Walter. And I'd like to compliment you on your promptness, too. You were right on time. Oh, punctuality's a mania with me, Miss Brooks. Besides, if I wasn't on time, you'd let some other kid pick you up. Like I always say, the early bird catches the worm. (laughs) Well, like I always say to the other worms, let's get some men and go fishing. (laughs) Confidentially, Miss Brooks, you look like you could use a little help. You seem bushed. Frankly, I think you're work-happy, Miss Brooks. Work-happy? Yeah. What did you do last night after you got home from school? I worked on a report for Mr. Conklin. Aha! I knew it. Mr. Conklin shouldn't give you extra things to do. Why don't you tell him about it, Walter? I'm not kidding, Miss Brooks. If you let him, Mr. Conklin will make a beast of burden out of you. You gotta put your foot down. I may put all four of them down. (laughs) I've been reading in the papers that there's quite a shortage of good teachers. You don't have to tow-cow to anybody. I don't have to what, Walter? Tau cow. It's Chinese slang for polishing the apple. <laughs> well, Walter, I don't tau cow to Mr. Conklin. It's just that he's my principal. And Excuse I... me, Miss Brooks, but he's only your principal at school. After hours, he's just. Uh, before I quote what I'm going to quote, I'd like to make a prior statement. Proceed. Well, any remark I make now is merely something I overheard in my daily contact with other members of the student body and does not necessarily reflect the opinion of the repeating eavesdropper. Well, repeat away, eavesdropper. I've heard sundry other pupils refer to Mr. Conklin as... Like I said, Miss Brooks, this isn't necessarily my opinion of him. You've made that very clear, Walter. Yeah, good. Some of the kids have spoken of Mr. Conklin as... After all, I go with his daughter, Harriet, you know. Yes, I know. It might not be the right thing to do to talk about my father-in-law. Walter, you're not married yet. Well, that's right, too. Well, I've heard him called it. 
Gee, I wouldn't want Harriet to know about this. My lips are sealed, Walter. Now go on. Okay. Now, Mr. Conklin, in the eyes of some of the undergraduates at this high school, is nothing but a... Gosh, if I was Harriet's father and he was going to marry Harriet, I wouldn't want him to go repeating things about me. Then again, he'd probably be the first one to do it. Sure he would. So I'll tell. Tell, tell. <laughs> a kid in the cafeteria called Mr. Conklin a big inflated bag of ego. There, I said it. <laughs> Give that boy a new Nash and a pair of pajamas to drive it in. <laughs> you won't ever mention my mentioning this, will you, Miss Brooks? Oh, of course not, Walter. I wouldn't even want anyone to hear me thinking it. Mr. Conklin may be rather a disciplinarian, but he does have quite a job on his hands, too. Running a high school these days is difficult work. Now, just between you and me, Walter... Yes? How would you go about deflating a big bag of ego? Well, the first thing I'd do is not let him think I was afraid of my job. I'd walk in with whatever work I'd done for him last night, throw it on his desk and say, There you are. That's the last work I do outside of my regular school duties. Take it or leave it, Buster. Well, that sounds like sterling advice, Walter But there's just one more thing I'd like to ask you What's that, Miss Brooks? If Buster decides to leave it Yeah? Where's the nearest local of the Beasts of Burden Union? Now then, Harriet, I want the furniture in this office to be absolutely glistening as neat as a pin now. Harriet Conklin, when your father and principal asks you to polish something, grab a dust rag, girl. Why, <laughs> Daddy? Because Mr. Jason Brill, the principal of Clay City High School, is paying me a visit. You know how sarcastic and critical he can be. But why is he coming to Madison? Well, I'm not positive, Harriet, but I think the old pirate is here to raid one of my teachers. It's a deplorable practice, but he stole a Spanish teacher right from under the nose of Colton's principal. But, Daddy, didn't you get our new math teacher, Mr. Fain, away from Clay City? Uh, that, Harriet, is just a rumor. <laughs> Mr. Fain came to Madison of his own free will. You mean he joined our faculty before you gave him your own study at home to sleep in and promised him your car whenever he wanted it and told him about having all his meals with us free of charge and two movies a week thrown in? <clears throat> Consider the subject closed. Now, if that Brill thinks he can sneak in here like a thief in the night... I beg rob... your pardon. What? It... It just called me Kettle. I'm the Kettle that was being called black by that pot over there. <laughs> now, see here, Brill. I won't... Oh, excuse me. That will be all, Harriet. Yes, Daddy. Goodbye, Mr. Brill. Yeah, goodbye, Harriet. Poor girl. What do you mean, poor girl? If you've come here to get my goat, Jason oh, Brill, I'm... on the contrary, Osgood. It's not a goat I'm after. It's an English teacher I've got my eye on. An English teacher? This is war, Osgood. Remember, you cross my frontier first. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about Mr. Fane, a good, if flighty, math teacher. Okay, you've got Fane. But I'm going to get the best English teacher at Madison, Miss Constance Brooks. Miss Brooks? But what made you pick her out? I'm attracted to her syntax. <laughs> Very interesting, Brill, but an altogether impossible task. Why should Miss Brooks want to work for any other principal when she's used to the benevolent, tender, warm-hearted guidance of a person like myself? And that's one of the things I'm depending on. 
Uh, another one is a secret weapon, Osgood. You'll find out all about it when it's too late. Secret weapon? What secret weapon? It's a secret, Osgood. <laughs> but believe me, it's going to work. Jason, you're being absolutely childish. There isn't the remotest possibility of Miss Brooks making any such ridiculous change as you suggest. There isn't, Dad. Uh. No, there isn't. Hey, look, Osgood, I don't want to be an old I told you so. But that's just what they said right before Jack Benny switched to CBS. <laughs> There you are, Mr. Conklin. That's the last work I do outside of my regular duties. Miss Brooks. That's it. Take it or leave it, Buster. I mean, sir. (laughs) They've gotten to her. Um, come here, Miss Brooks. Sit down by my desk, if you please. What? Oh, but I've got a class soon, Mr. Conklin. That can wait. You've been working too hard lately, Miss Brooks. I have? That is sure I have. I don't like it, you hear? I don't like it one bit. You don't? We here at Madison don't want our teachers to overwork. After all, you're an educator, a person of intellect and perception, not a... a... Beast of burden? Exactly. (laughs) Look about you, Miss Brooks. The walls of this office. That picture hanging there of Madison's first principal. Yoda Critch. He certainly was. There's more to a school than the people in it. There's tradition. A tradition of loyalty and industry. Good fellowship and cooperation. But mostly, loyalty. Why, when I think of our school song, it brings a lump to my throat. (laughs) Oh, medicine, thou medicine. I love the air, thou... uh, Thou... Medicine? uh, Thou Madison. (laughs) Miss Brooks, come with me to the window. These hallowed walls, this lovely ivy-covered exterior. Do you know the significance of this venerable and beloved ivy, Miss Brooks? Why, no, I don't, Mr. Conklin. Here, I'll raise the window. Here, let me help you. It's caught in that scummy ivy. (laughs) There we are. Now look, Miss Brooks. Look at this beautiful campus. As far as the eye can see, green grass. Now, there's one thing I want you to do before you do anything else. No. What? No, I won't do it. Won't do what? I absolutely refuse to mow that lawn. Starring Eve Arden will continue in just a moment, but first, here is Vern Smith. The makers of Palm Olive Soap are giving away $100,000 in prizes. First prize, $49,000, plus over 4,900 other cash prizes in the big 49 Gold Rush Contest. Hundreds will strike it rich in this exciting Gold Rush Contest. One of them may be you. It's easy to enter. Just finish this sentence in 25 additional words or less. I like palm olive soap because... That's all. Just 25 words or less to finish the sentence, I like palm olive soap because... Then mail your entry right away along with a palm olive soap wrapper. Try for your share of that $100,000 in prizes right now. 
your chance of winning $49,000 is as good as anyone's. Get entry blank with complete rules from your dealer or write your completed sentence on plain paper. Include your name and address and dealer's name and address. Mail with one palm olive soap wrapper for each entry to Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. You better write that down. Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. Enter as often as you like, including one wrapper with each entry. But hurry, the contest closes a week from next Saturday. Mail your entry right away. Get palm olive soap right away to help win a lovelier complexion and try for your share of the $100,000 in cash prizes. Well, Mr. Conklin not only canceled all extracurricular work for me, but as we stood by the window looking across the campus, he actually bent over backwards to be courteous and sweet. Of course, he didn't bend over quite far enough. But it was a surprise to see him acting so human. (laughs) Although I couldn't understand the reason for this unaccustomed solicitude, I didn't let it spoil my appetite. When lunch period arrived, I was in the school cafeteria with our bashful biologist, Mr. Philip Boynton. Here we are. Sit right down, Miss Brooks. Oh, thanks. Have you got everything? Modesty forbids a direct answer. (laughs) Oh, you mean on my tray. (laughs) Yes, I'm all set, Mr. Boynton. Oh, good. How do you like what they're serving in the cafeteria these days, Miss Brooks? Well, it'll never replace food, but it's improving. (laughs) It isn't what you eat in a place that's important anyway. It's with whom. What's with whom? With whom you eat with whom. Or as I once heard another English teacher say, what's with you? Oh, you're teasing me again, Miss Brooks, but I'm getting kind of used to it. I catch on much faster now than I used to, don't you think? Oh, yes, you're really gone, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> Not until I finish my meatballs. Uh, uh, that's, that's another one of those colloquial expressions, isn't it? Gone. Uh, I wonder what the derivation actually is. How a simple expression like the past tense of go could assume the connotation with which it's currently associated seems totally incomprehensible at first glance. Eat your meatballs, Mr. Boynton, before they get warm again. <laughs> oh, excuse me, Miss Brooks, Mr. Boynton. Well, it's Harriet Conklin. Hello, Harriet. Daddy wants to see you in his office right away, Mr. Boynton, if you don't mind. And if he does mind... Oh, please, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin wouldn't summon me during my lunch period unless it was something important. I think it is. Daddy sounded very urgent. Maybe some of that ivy crawled into his office. (laughs) You haven't forgotten our date this afternoon, Mr. Boynton. Oh, no. no. I'll call for you after school and take you to the zoo. See you at three, Miss Brooks. All right, Mr. Boynton. Mr. Boynton isn't always as romantic as you'd like him to be, is he, Miss Brooks? No, Harriet. Not always. Or ever, for that matter. (laughs) Well, maybe it's just as well. You know how Daddy feels about faculty members fraternizing. Not that I think Daddy's right. Sometimes Daddy can be pretty harsh. But then, if Daddy wasn't Daddy, what would he be? Mammy. (laughs) I don't know, Harriet. I'm going up to the steam table and get some lunch, Miss Brooks. Can I bring you anything? No, thanks. Run along, Harriet. Okay, Miss Brooks. (sighs) Poor Miss Brooks. She chases after Mr. Boynton just like Walter Denton runs after me. Oh, I beg your pardon? Why, it's Mr. Brown. Oh, hello, Harriet. Uh, this is Mr. Hastings. Harvey, this is Osgood Conklin's daughter, Harriet. How do you do, my dear? It's always a pleasure to meet a member of Madison's undergraduate body, especially such a charming and lovely one as yourself. Why, thank you, Mr. Hastings. Golly! <laughs> 
Mr. Hastings and I were just talking, Harriet. We'll excuse you if you want to get to the steam table. Huh? Oh, yes, Mr. Brill. Will I see you again, Mr. Hastings? No, I would consider that a very fortuitous circumstance indeed, Harriet. You would? Golly, I'll hurry with my train and come back in a minute. You'd better not walk backwards, Harriet, or you'll... She did. <laughs> Hastings is marvelous. You've got something that makes women drop whatever they're doing and concentrate on you. Oh, I don't know, Mr. Brill. I just try to be pleasant to everyone. Uh-huh. Well, you keep it up. We'll have Connie Brooks in our English department in no time. Yeah, now, look, this is a good chance for you to meet her. She's seated at that table over by the wall, and she's alone. Yeah, don't tell her too much right now, but make an appointment for tea. Then we'll really go to work on her. Well, if you say so, Mr. Brill, but it does seem like a kind of dirty trick with teachers so hard to get nowadays. I think... Secret weapons don't think. They act. Now, there's Miss Brooks Hastings. Sicker. <laughs> yes, sir. And when I bring her back and place her at your feet, I expect a whole case of strong heart. <laughs> oh, I beg your pardon, Miss Brooks, but may I introduce myself? What? Yes, I suppose... Well, I'm Constance Brooks. Yes, I know. My name is Hastings, Harvey Hastings. Are these chairs occupied? Just the one I'm sitting in. <laughs> Help yourself, please. Oh, thank you. I'm not going to be in town very long, Miss Brooks, and I'll have to move rapidly, so may I take you home after school? That's a little too rapidly. <laughs> Who are you, Mr. Hastings? Well, I'm a, I'm a sort of a friend of a friend of Mr. Conklin's. He has? <laughs> I dropped over today with Mr. Brill. Oh, the principal of Clay City High. What are you doing here, slumming? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that must be the famous Brooks Wit I've heard so much about. <laughs> you can stop now, I have. <laughs> Seriously, Miss Brooks... I think that your undergraduate body is wonderful. Mr. Hastings. <laughs> no, 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 no. The kids, the kids. Oh, the kids. Great bunch. Your faculty's nice, too. Yes, I still have them all. <laughs> the teachers. Miss Brooks, there's, there's one thing I, I just can't understand. How does a youthful, intelligent, lovely-looking person like yourself happen to be lunching alone? I beg your pardon? Didn't you hear what I said, Miss Brooks? You lost me after youthful. <laughs> oh, really, I, I, I just can't figure it out. All by yourself in this big cafeteria. Oh, a thing like this could never happen at Clay City. Oh, thank you, Mr. Hastings. Miss Brooks, uh, I'm writing a book on the teaching of English in our high schools, and I'd certainly like to include an interview with Madison's outs. Standing authority on the subject. Oh, an interview. Hmm. Well, I did have a date this afternoon, but... Shall we say tea for two at four? Well, I guess so, but there's something I can't help thinking. Oh, what's that, Miss Brooks? Tea for two at four will mean zoo for one at three. <laughs> And that's why I've summoned you to my office, Mr. Boynton. Jason Brill and his, his secret weapon must be stopped. You've got to make Miss Brooks stay on at Madison. But why me, Mr. Conklin? You, you know how timid I am. Well, you've got to get over it, boy. You like Miss Brooks, don't you? Oh, yes, sir. But 
what about your stand on fraternization? I've reversed it as of now. Look, Boynton, all you have to do is act the way you really feel. Or better yet, the way you've seen other people act. <laughs> what do you mean, Mr. Mr. Conklin? Well, you've seen leading men on the screen, haven't you? Humphrey Bogart in Knock on Any Door, Errol Flynn in Don Juan. No, sir, I haven't seen those. Oh, well, what's the last movie you did see? The last movie I saw was called, uh, I believe it was called Arrowsmith. <laughs> I don't go to movies much, Mr. Conklin. You see, I'm more of a radio fan. I listen to those mystery programs a lot. Mystery programs, eh? Well, that's just as good. According to my wife and daughter, those private detective fellows are as attractive as any of the movie stars. Now, why don't you act like one of them when Miss Brooks comes around? Me? Act like a private eye? Certainly. From what I hear, most of them merely sit behind a desk until some beautiful girl comes in. Then they open the drawer, take a big drink, and then they say, Come on, babe, we're going on a caper. <laughs> Whatever that is. Take no for an answer, Boynton. You've got to do it. Well, Mr. Conklin... It's you... for Madison, boy. Tell me that you'll try, Boynton. That's all I ask. <laughs> all right, Mr. Conklin. I'll try. Come in. Oh, it's me, Mr. Boynton. I'm glad I caught you before you left school for the day. I won't be able to go to the zoo with you this afternoon. Mr. Boynton, did you hear what I said? What are you doing at that desk? Park the frame, baby. Stash it. Right there. Now, what's the caper, sweetheart? The caper? Now, look, I know the opposition's trying to put the heist on certain persons, but we've got a few angles, too. Angles? They can't get away with it, see? Now, we've got them covered like a bubble dancer in Boston, see? <laughs> and that comes right from Mr. Big, see? Thank you, Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> you, you've got to stay here, Miss Brooks. You can't leave Madison. I don't know what their secret weapon is, but... Just a minute. Uh... Who are we now, Buck Rogers? <laughs> No, 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 it's me, Mr. Boynton. Uh, that was just distilled water I drank. Distilled water? I don't know what Mr. Brill's planning, but don't... Then perhaps I'd better explain it myself. You'll excuse us, I know. The door was open. I believe you've met Mr. Hastings, Miss Brooks. Oh, yes, I have. Uh, this is Mr. Boynton, Mr. Hastings. How do you do? Hello. Uh, we've got to get back to Clay City a little earlier than I'd planned, Miss Brooks, so I'm afraid your interview will have to be postponed. However, I'm sure that we can take up just where we left off and we are all together in Clay City, huh? Clay City? Yes. As you know, a good teacher is always in demand, Miss Brooks. Oh, As, uh, uh, you teacher snatcher. What has he told you, Miss Brooks? Don't listen to him. Don't listen to anybody. Well, that isn't hard. Nobody's saying anything. <laughs> what is all this, anyway? Well, Mr. Hastings here is head of the English department at Clay City, Miss Brooks. Aha! Then he's your secret weapon, huh? Well, if you want to put it that way, actually, I'm a very simple man. Yes, you are, in a jet-propelled sort of way. <laughs> now, see here, Bill. I won't have... You can't do it. I'll have you... Oh, stop puffing, Osgood. You've come to a station. <laughs> what do you say, Miss Brooks? Would you like to transfer to Clay City? Transfer? Well, come to think of it, I have been overworking lately. I might consider a transfer at that. Oh, you can't, Miss Brooks. Oh, why can't she? Have you got some extra chores she can do without pay? How about it, Mr. Conklin? Any more extra work? No, Miss Brooks, none at all. It's very pleasant at Clay City, Miss Brooks. Say you'll come. Say you won't. Which is it, Miss Brooks? Well, it's quite a problem. 
But now I'd like to ask a question, Mr. Brill. If I were a biology teacher, would you want me to come to Clay City? A biology teacher? Well, frankly, no. There's no opening for a biology teacher. That's all I wanted to know. Good day, gentlemen. I'm remaining at Madison. Well, we tried. Come on, Hastings. Goodbye, Miss Brooks. Ah, good for you, Miss Brooks. Old Madison, the Madison. As old as Thomas Addison. (laughs) Oh, hallowed halls. Oh, basketball. How short the day. How short the pay. Eve Arden as our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a Luster Cream shampoo. Only Luster Cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster Cream. Not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean. Free of loose dandruff. Glistening with sheen. Soft, manageable, gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to... A Luster Cream Shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr. Conklin finally left us all alone in Mr. Boynton's laboratory. Oh, gosh, Miss Brooks, you sure had me worried. Were you really afraid I'd leave, Mr. Boynton? Oh, sure, I couldn't even talk. I was so nervous. You didn't get much of a chance. But now that we're alone, Mr. Boynton, is there anything else you want to say to me? Yes, Miss Brooks, there is. What? If we don't hurry, we'll be late for the zoo. <laughs> Where are you going, Miss Brooks? What are you doing at my desk? Park the frame, baby. You're in for the caper of your life. Next week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Pomelin Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler. Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Gerald Moore, and Frank Nelson. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with Challenge of the Yukon, followed by A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. 
The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.